Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the precious gift of your word. Lord, we pray that you may bless this time as we look into your word together. Lord, we pray that you may open our hearts to your word as it confronts us about the various sins that so easily entangle Christians all throughout this world. Lord, we pray that you may bring us to repentance anew this morning for the sins that we have committed in the past and help us to look to you for strength to overcome those sins in the future. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, what do other nations do? We are a nation here in Australia, and we're, we're not the only people on the planet. There are other nations around us. And what do other nations do? What are the practices, what are the cultures of different nations around us? Uh, although in, when I say that we are one nation here in Australia, we are very culturally aware in Australia. We're a very multicultural nation, and so we are very much aware of what other nations do, and we have absorbed many uh, aspects of other nations' cultures into our culture. And I'm very thankful for some nations and their influence in Australia and what they have brought to Australia, particularly Italians. I'm very thankful for the country of Italy for three reasons. One is for pasta. I love pasta. The second reason is pizza. I love pizza. And the third reason is gelato. I love gelato. Three reasons, all food-related, all related to my stomach, uh, which I am very thankful for other nations, and particularly the nation of Italy, and that we have the blessing of having Italians come over here and introduce things like pizza, pasta, and gelato. But things that other nations do, are we meant to embrace everything? Are we meant to embrace everything that they bring to a country? Peter, in this book, One Peter, written by the Apostle, encourages us not to do what other nations choose to do. And that's the verse we've come to as we've been looking through 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4, we've had a couple sermons now, and we've up to verse 3, where it says in verse 3, for you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do. Now you may think, oh, that doesn't mean other nations. That's the pagans. That's the, the horrible people who aren't Christians. Well, in the Greek, it's actually the word nation there, which can also in other times be translated nation in your, uh, in your New Testaments, and also Gentile, people who are non-Jews. So we're not meant to do what non-Jews do. He says, in verse 3, for you have spent enough time in the past doing what other nations choose to do. And that's what we're going to look at this morning is not doing what other nations choose to do. We've come to this as we've been working through uh, chapter 4 of 1 Peter where we initially in verse 1 we saw that we're meant to arm ourselves with the same attitude of Christ when it comes to suffering for righteousness. And so we've been unpacking that and we're now looking at what righteous behaviour actually is. And then next week we'll start looking at how we can suffer for righteous behaviour. But this week we're looking at what that unrighteous behaviour is, and it's actually unrighteous behaviour that other nations choose to do, that other people who are not Christians, non-Jews, uh, Gentiles, what they do and how we're not to do that. And so what is that? What is it that the other nations choose to do? Is Peter just writing off everything that they do? Does that mean that I have to stop eating gelato, pizza and, and uh, pasta? No, there's specific things that other nations do that pagans choose to do. And what is that? 
Well, that's my first main point this morning. The life of pagans, the life of other nations, includes debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. This morning, I want to concentrate on this list of sins and what they are and then how we can avoid them as Christians. So the first thing is to understand what are these sins? What is it? What is it that Peter doesn't want us to do? Well, firstly, he says that the nations live in debauchery. What is debauchery? Well, it means living without any regard for moral restraint, a type of lawlessness. Uh, The Holman Christian Standard Bible translates it as unrestrained behaviour, so behaviour that has no limits on it. The ESV has living in sensuality, where all our senses are are moving us and we don't care about laws around us. The New King James has lewdness there. Um, And so it usually refers to, when we consider debauchery there, unrestrained living, is when it comes to sexual immorality, that people are being sexually immoral, publicly indecent, immodest. That is what it means to live in debauchery. And that is what non-Christians do. They live in debauchery, whereas Peter says Christians should not. And then closely linked to that is the next sin, lust. The nations live in lust. What is lust? Well, the word that's actually used here in the Greek is uh, a word that can be used, uh, is, can be just translated as desire, and it can be used in a positive sense. Uh, Paul actually uses it positively in one case where he says, I desire, I lust to depart and be with Christ. I lust to depart and be with Christ. And so lust doesn't necessarily mean evil desires, but it can mean evil desires. We can take that uh, word, the desire, and we can see that sometimes it refers to forbidden desires and has an evil connotation. And that's what Peter wants us to avoid here. He's not saying don't have any desire for anything, even good desires, because, of course, we want to desire to depart and be with Christ like Peter does. So it's got to be desires that take over our hearts that are evil desires. And the evil sense is often a sexual sense as well. When we consider the word lust, most people don't think uh, lust for a good thing. They think lust for something that is bad, and particularly when it comes to sexual matters. So evil, illicit sexual desires that people have, sex before marriage, adultery, incest, homosexuality, bestiality, pedophilia, We have all these kinds of illicit sexual desires that go on in other nations and that is not the life that a Christian should have. These desires that seem to control someone so much that it doesn't matter what else is going on in their life, the sexual desires just take over. It's amazing how much sexual desire can actually dominate someone's life and stop them from any sort of checks and balances in their life. You see this whenever you see a politician taken down, uh, having to resign from office because of some sort of sexual sin. You think, how could they do that? How could they risk everything for some sort of sexual affair that they have or a prostitute that they may have visited? And it becomes public knowledge. You think, how could they, particularly if they're married with kids, it just becomes like, why did that happen? Surely alarm bells were going off in their head the whole time. Well, no, no. We see how powerful sexual desires are in that they can dominate someone's life so much that everything else goes into the background and that sexual desire is what is controlling that person. And that is not to be the life of a Christian and not to be someone characterised by lust. Number three, 
The nations lived in drunkenness. We see that there, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness. I don't think I need to go into what drunkenness is. That's kind of clear, whereas debauchery and lust are a little bit um, trickier to unpack. Um, number four, well, drunkenness, I should just say, for anyone who may not know, it means when you drink an excess of alcohol and the alcohol basically takes over your body and you're not, no longer in control of, of what you're doing. Number four, the nations lived in orgies. They had orgies. What's an orgy? Well, the word actually originated in a, a positive sense. It referred to a band of friends who accompanied home a victor in the game. So if some, they used to have sporting games just like today. I'm not sure why people attend those, but anyway. Um, and people would go along, watch those games, and then like their friend would be the winner. And so what would they have afterwards? they have an orgy. Uh, where they would go and they would uh, rejoice and they sing the winner's praises and they would drink to his health and have a bit of a party, just like, I guess, a McDonald's uh, trip for a soccer team. Once they win, the kiddies, they go for uh, a party at McDonald's afterwards. Yes, if we win, we get to go to Macca's afterwards, something like that. That's what it originally meant, but eventually the word degenerated until it came to mean a, a band of drunken revelers swaying and singing their way through the streets. That they would be just a party crowd that is going along, drinking and singing its way, and it's not in reference to anything positive. It's something that is evil. And also it then took on a, a meaning of uh, feasts, where there was wild sexual immorality, which is what many of us may consider today to be an orgy. Uh, we would consider it to be a place where people are having sex in, in, at a group level. And then number five, the other type of sin, carousing. What is carousing? Well, carousing is basically a party where the idea is to drink alcohol and to drink a lot of it where you drink to get drunk. You're not going along to just taste a bit of alcohol. You're going along to drink a lot of it. And today's equivalent would be a pub crawl, where you go from one pub to the next. It's carousing. That's what you describe pub crawls as, where you're going from one pub to the next, trying to drink a pub dry. Uh, that kind of activity, that is what carousing is. And that is what Peter says the other nations do. That is not what Christians do. It does not characterise the life of a Christian. And then finally, what's the sixth sin there? Detestable idolatry. Detestable idolatry. What is that? Well, the word detestable there is actually just the word for lawlessness. So it's lawless idolatry. So it's not lawful idolatry, it's lawless idolatry. And so people go, oh, well, what's this meaning here? Oh, I mean, it must mean just idolatry in general. No, it can't mean idolatry in general because... When it comes to God, there is no such thing as lawful idolatry. There is only lawless idolatry in God's eyes. And so here, I think the NIV has tried to bring that idea out by saying detestable idolatry in that it is lawless even in the society's eyes. That there is types of idolatry that are done that the society at large doesn't usually encourage. What kinds of idolatry can that be? Well, it can be where there's human sacrifice. Often societies will permit you to have a little shrine to Buddha and that's all okay. But if you start killing your children in the name of your idol, no, they will say you're doing the wrong thing and it's lawless idolatry that you're doing. Or temple prostitution uh, or the worship of things that are clearly evil that people know like witchcraft 
and worshipping of demons and Satan and things like that, people would say, no, that's not really acceptable worship. That's not lawful worship in our society. And that would be happening in the time of Peter as well. There were certain types of worship, certain types of idols that were socially unacceptable to worship and it was detestable idolatry in the eyes of the people there and also is not to be the life of a Christian. A life a Christian is not to participate in any type of idolatry and particularly not in detestable types of idolatry where it involves other sins that even the nations uh, don't uh, encourage. So that is the way the nations live and Peter wants the Christians to avoid those types of sins. And basically those sins can be summed up with the idea of illicit sex, sexual immorality, uh, abuse of alcohol and idolatry. Most of those sins, they can be rolled into one of those three categories. Now, you may be saying to yourself, oh, well, I don't really struggle with those sins, so this verse has real no, no relevance to me today. I'm not likely to go to an orgy tomorrow. I'm not likely to get drunk. I'm not going to go carousing. Um, these kinds of sins, I'm not about to go and have a um, worship Satan. These kinds of sins, they're not really that dangerous for me. And that's where I want to come to my second main point this morning. The life of the Christian is in danger of such sins. All through the ages, God's people have been in danger of participating in these kinds of sins. And we see that with the reading that I had from Numbers this morning, where Moabite women led astray Israelites to worship other gods and to participate in uh, sexual immorality with them. God's people have been led astray at different times uh, through history, and it still happens today. I mean, it may be that you didn't struggle with these things in the past before you became a Christian, or you may have. You may have committed acts of sexual immorality in the past. You may have gotten regularly drunk. But these days you think, oh, it's not something that I particularly struggle with. I don't really have a problem with this verse because really I'm too old for pub crawls and so I wouldn't really be going out doing them anyway. And, uh, and so it's not really that much of a problem for me. But I would make the point here this morning, and maybe a controversial point, that we still commit these kinds of sins quite regularly as Christians in our minds. Often these kinds of things come into our Christian homes more regularly than you may think, particularly through modern technology, through modern mediums that we have, mediums of TV, music, magazines, books and the internet bring these kinds of evils into our home more regularly than you may even think. Consider the way debauchery can come into your home, particularly if we consider debauchery as lewdness or immodesty. We may never let someone come into our home, walk around the house in their underwear, but we let catalogues, junk mail come in, magazines, with people in their underwear and leave them on the coffee table there as though it's all okay that somebody is in our house in an immodest dress. And we have that there in our very own homes. Just because they're not an actual person there in our home, we think that it's okay. Or consider something like an orgy, that you may never let someone come into your home and have sex there in front of you, but people let that happen all the time with a television set. It's amazing how desensitised we can become to it, that even regular movies, mainstream films, regularly have sex scenes in them in front of us in our own homes. And we just think that, oh, it's part of a feel-good movie, and so 
we don't feel bad about it because the rest of the movie feels good and so it's okay to have people have sex there basically on your TV cabinet and you don't have a problem with it. We should have a problem with it. We shouldn't be watching other people have sex. It's amazing that it even is in mainstream films. It shouldn't surprise us that there's pornography out there, but the fact that it actually gets into mainstream films, that's something that everybody knows is a very private matter between two people, that they think, ah, oh, everybody would like to see some of that. And so we'll put that, it may be just a two-minute scene in this movie, but we'll pop it in there because people might like to see it. Well, it's participating in something like an orgy where you're watching other people have sex. It's not right. And yet we allow it to happen when we watch movies, when we watch TV shows, and we shouldn't think that it makes a feel-good movie okay. We should feel bad about it. We should be ashamed that we let people into our home. They may not be physically there, but we can see them and behave in that way, behave in a way of an orgy right there in front of us. They're debauchery right there in our homes. And with the internet, you can actually bring it up on call as well. People bring it into their homes. They look at such things on the internet. It comes in and we are in danger. Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you don't look at pornography. People are encouraged to do it all the time. They, there's ads there on, as you're browsing on the internet. You see these explicit images there and it attracts you and you still struggle with that sin. Otherwise, Peter wouldn't be talking about the fact that we're not supposed to be doing it anymore. If Christians just had a complete repulsion for all pornography, then he wouldn't need to say it. But he knows that there's an attraction for Christians and we have to be very careful about it. But even the way of uh, the subject of detestable idolatry... We can let that into our homes as well. We may not have a Ouija board in the cupboard. We may not worship Satan. But we do let witchcraft into our home and such ideas quite regularly, in some cases, through our television sets and through even books that we read. I'm guilty of this myself. In high school, one of the other boys at school um, introduced me to Stephen King. And Stephen King is an excellent writer. He actually has a book on writing and teaches you how to write books. It is really good. He's a very clever writer. But a lot of uh, the scenes that he has in his books are satanic. They're about demons and all kinds of horrible things. And as I read those things, I used to enjoy the stories, and then I got into horror movies and watched lots and lots of horror movies. And although I'm not actually there participating in the satanic stuff that's going on in the film, I'm allowing it into the home and watching it. And so detestable idolatry is going on in my home when I read a Stephen King novel, when I watch a horror movie that depicts detestable idolatry going on. And we have to be very careful about such things. Even when it comes to witchcraft in general, in our culture, it seems that we often will make witchcraft a positive thing. We can turn it around and speak positively about witchcraft. And this comes to things like Harry Potter books. I'm guilty of this. I've read Harry Potter books. Um, but should we really be putting a positive spin on something that is detestable idolatry? Saying to our children that witchcraft's okay as long as you're against the bad guys, the bad witches. If you're a good witch, it's okay to be against the bad witches. And it's just fiction, after all. Is it okay? I mean, we've got Halloween coming up on the 31st, and it's becoming more and more prominent in our culture to celebrate Halloween. 
And each year I try and work out what am I going to do about Halloween, particularly we've got a, a number of neighbours around us and they uh, have kids and they haven't come yet, trick-or-treating, but each year I try and work out what am I going to do? Should I just go out and so I'm not home to answer them? And I think this year I'm just going to say, oh, sorry, if they do come to the parent, because they usually come with the parent, we don't celebrate witchcraft. We don't celebrate evil at our home. Because that's what it is. It's a celebration of evil. You're celebrating something that is evil and they come dressed in evil ways and saying it's all okay. It's actually something to be celebrated. And it's not. It's detestable idolatry. And although we may not participate in witchcraft, are we encouraging such things with the things that we read, the things that we watch, the music that we listen to, the sexually explicit lyrics that come across in music? Is that what Peter is against here? Have we spent enough time doing such things? And when it comes to drunkenness and carousing, maybe you don't get drunk anymore, maybe you don't carouse. But often TV shows and movies, they will show drunken scenes and things, and it's always in, uh, often in comedies, and you laugh at the way people are behaving in those drunken scenes, and you start to go along with it, and before you know it, yes, you're finding yourself laughing at the way people are behaving because of drunkenness, because of the sin that they're committing. We shouldn't let such things into our homes. We shouldn't participate with them with our minds. It may be that our actions we don't sin in that way, but are we sinning in our minds in the way that we laugh at other people getting drunk and carousing? We have to stop these things. Peter says these things are not God's will for our life. That's what he said in verse 2. As a result, someone who who is done with sin from verse 1 does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. You're meant to be living for the will of God, not living for these things or allowing even precious minutes in your life to be watching such things on a television set or on the internet. So how do you obtain the life of the Christian and keep yourself from such pollution? How do you keep your life from such things? Well, that brings me to my third main point this morning. How to obtain the life of the Christian. There are two things. Believe and repent. Believe and repent. Firstly, you must trust in Jesus for the payment of your sins, all your thought crimes. Jesus' blood is sufficient for all the debauchery, all the lust, all the drunkenness, all the orgies, carousing and detestable idolatry you've participated in actively and even in your mind. All the thought crimes that you've you've had, all those Stephen King novels that I read, Jesus' blood pays for my enjoyment of things that were detestable idolatry. And you have to take that step. You have to believe that If you're feeling guilty right now for what you've watched or looked at in the past, then you have to believe that Jesus can pay for that sin that you've committed. The second thing is you must repent. You must be sorrowful about it, but you must also turn from it. Repentance is uh, turning from sin, saying that is the way I lived, and now I'm going to live for the will of God instead. And so you must exercise self-control. You get it from the Holy Spirit, self-control, and you must exercise it. Turn off such movies, TV shows, music. Close the magazines and books that are going to encourage you in these kinds of activities. Stop clicking on those websites that encourage such things. And you can stop drinking too much alcohol if you do struggle with drunkenness. 
You can say, I'm going to have a little bit and no more. And if that doesn't work, well, I would encourage you to consider getting rid of the mediums by which they enter into your life altogether. What does that mean? It means you may even have to throw out your television set. You may have to get rid of it for a while. You may have to disconnect it and put it in another room. If you find you can't help but watch things that depict these kinds of sins. Or you cut the internet off altogether as well. If you struggle with the internet, bringing these kinds of things into your home and into your mind, cut it off. Get rid of it. You may say, oh, that's a bit too drastic. Well, that's the kind of thing Jesus is talking about in the Sermon on the Mount when he talks about getting rid of sin out of your life, things that cause you to sin. What does Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount? If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Jesus says if your eye is causing you to sin, get rid of it. Now, he's not speaking literally because, of course, Jesus knows that that's self-mutilation and your body is a good thing and you're not supposed to uh, destroy your body. But he's using uh, hyperbole there, exaggeration, to show how serious sin is that you should be willing almost to get rid of a precious part of you. He also talks about your right hand, chopping that off. Get rid of that precious part of you if that means you can get rid of that sin out of your life. And so we could say, Jesus is also saying, if your television causes you to sin, pick it up and throw it away. It is better for you to lose your television than for you and your television to be thrown into hell. Who wants to be taking a television into hell as opposed to going without a television into heaven? Or if your internet connection causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to lose your internet connection than for you and your internet connection to go into hell. If you are struggling with these sins through the mediums of television and the internet, consider getting rid of them. If you can't exercise self-control, then cut them off. You may not have to cut them out of your life forever. You may just have to take a break for a time so that you start to wean yourself off such sins and you won't struggle in the future and you can bring your television back in and start watching some stuff that's actually positive that might be helpful and encouraging. And then when it comes to something like alcohol, maybe you should consider cutting it out of your life altogether. If you do struggle with drunkenness, then this is where going without alcohol altogether can be a good idea. Many Christians in the past have advocated everybody should just, all Christians should never drink. Now, of course, that's wrong, that you, don't, you can be a Christian and still drink alcohol, but it's, a, it's an easy option to get rid of the sin of drunkenness is to just never drink. I was brought up in a Christian home where we, yeah, we just didn't have alcohol, and I've only had a couple of sips of alcohol in all my life, which has meant that the sin of drunkenness, it's been not a problem for me. It's just been really easy to, I don't struggle with that sin at all. And it is wonderful the day and age that we live in that we can cut alcohol out of our lives. Um, Paul actually encourages Timothy to drink some wine because it's good for his stomach. And what he's getting at there is that if you drink the water, you're going to get sick, so drink the wine. But in our culture, we don't have to do that. We have Sydney water, and it's clean. We can drink it. Uh, And we have lots of other beverages around. Uh, You don't need to drink alcohol to have something tasty to drink. It's not like you've got alcohol or water and you've got to pick water. There's lots of things that you can drink. Very yummy stuff. Maybe if you struggle with drunkenness, you need to cut it out of your life altogether. If it seems that when you drink alcohol, you sort of go into this borderline of tipsy, sort of drunk, 
and you're never sure where you are, just cut it out altogether. Drink something else. And then if you cut these things out of your life, you say, oh, well, what am I going to do? If, particularly if I get rid of the television and the internet and the alcohol, what am I going to do with my life? I'd encourage you to fill your life with good things. If you're going to cut back on movies, and yes, it's going to be hard, because if you say, I'm not going to watch anything with a sex scene in it, well, there's only so much that's available to watch that's actually worth watching uh, without something like this in it. So that means you're going to be having more time. And I would encourage you to fill that time with good things. Imagine if people had no TV and no internet for entertainment. Well, what would you do? You might actually talk to some people. You might talk to your family. You might have some time to chat to one another, to spend time with your kids. You might even have time to read your Bible. You might have time to go to a Bible study. I'd hate to think that people who don't go to Bible study, it's because they're at home watching TV shows that are depicting these kinds of things right here. If you turn that TV show off, you might actually be able to make it to a Bible study or to spending time with another Christian, reading the Bible and praying with them. You need to fill your life with good things. It's not like God says, cut these things out of your life and you can't do anything. You just have to sit on your couch and do nothing. No, there are many things you can do as a Christian that are actually positive for you. And so you should be doing those things. And so you should do what Peter says here, where you cut these things out. Why? Well, we looked at it last week. It says in verse 3, for you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do. We've spent enough time watching sex scenes in movies, even if they're like two minutes, three minutes in those movies. Imagine all those sex scenes added up and how many time you've spent in your life watching that. How much time have I wasted on horror movies in my life? I should be choosing to do other things instead. I've wasted enough time doing those things. Is that you? Do you know that you've spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing and detestable idolatry? And so now, instead, you are living not for sinful human desires, but you're living for the will of God instead. Let us speak with our God now. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word and how it alerts us to the presence of sin, how it does, doesn't label the word sin there and then not spell out for us different actions that are indeed sinful. Lord, we thank you that it tells us how evil certain sins are and how we should shun those, how we have wasted time in the past doing those things, but now we should be living for your will. Lord, we pray that we may be very careful with our lives. We may not commit these sins in our actual bodies, in action, but Lord, in our culture, many of these sins are still very present, and they come into our homes more than we sometimes think. Lord, we pray that we may be vigilant, that we may be always seeking to do the will of God, and we pray that you may give us the strength to do so. Because without your Holy Spirit's strength, we can never do your will. And Lord, we pray that if we also are feeling ashamed this morning, convicted of our sin, Lord, we pray that we may confess it to you now. All the times that we have wasted investing in these sins, Lord, we pray that they may be paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross that everyone in this room has believed 
that Jesus Christ died for these sins that the pagans still choose to do, but we are making an effort now to choose not to do. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.